Support for NPR comes from ADP. Say you're in HR and a solar flare adds an extra hour to each day. How would this impact business? ADP designs forward-thinking solutions to help your business take on the next anything. ADP, always designing for people. Once upon a time, a sly bunch of Reddit users made some Wall Street billionaires sweat in an infamous stock market incident known as the GameStop Short Squeeze. Now, just a couple years later, that saga has been turned into a snappy, eat-the-rich movie comedy. Dumb money. It's got a star-studded ensemble that includes Paul Dano, Seth Rogen, and Pete Davidson. It's got class warfare. It's got needle drops galore. But will it inspire you to fight the power or just go out and buy some stocks? I'm Stephen Thompson. And I'm Aisha Harris. And today we're talking about Dumb Money on Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor, BetterHelp. When you keep your stress bottled up, it can eat away at you. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to make them better. Try BetterHelp Online Therapy, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp at BetterHelp.com NPR today to get 10% off your first month. This message comes from NPR sponsor, the official Hacks podcast from Max. Join the creators and showrunners of Hacks as they discuss each episode and speak with the cast and crew about the making of the series. Listen to the official Hacks podcast wherever you get your podcasts. This message comes from NPR sponsor REI Co-op. REI has gear, clothing, classes, and advice for camping and glamping, biking and hiking, axing and snacksing. Visit your local REI Co-op or REI.com for the million and one ways to opt outside. Okay, close your eyes for a second. Now imagine you're on your dream vacation. No work calls to answer, no text messages to respond to, just your suitcase and an opportunity. The opportunity to just take yourself out of your routine and travel deeper. How to actually take that dream trip. That's on the Life Kit Podcast from NPR. Joining me and Stephen is Waylon Wong. She's the co-host of NPR's daily economics podcast, The Indicator from Planet Money. Hello, Waylon. Hi, I'm waving my diamond hands at you. <laughs> oh, man, all of these terms that I had to slowly learn in the middle of this movie. So I'm very happy you're here, Waylon. <laughs> I am delighted to be here. <laughs> So Dumb Money stars Paul Dano as Keith Gill, a quirky YouTuber and Redditor who spends much of his time analyzing Wall Street. He's convinced that the retailer GameStop is severely undervalued on the market and has thrown his whole life savings behind it. Online, he evangelizes about how all the rich financiers are deliberately shorting the stock, waiting to cash in on GameStop's failure. Now, after some time, his observations begin to catch on with other amateur investors, and a movement grows to follow Keith's lead and raise the company's stock together. Eventually, Keith's investments are worth tens of millions of dollars, and many of his followers have amassed some small fortunes of their own, too. Now, Seth Rogen, Nick Offerman, and Vincent D'Onofrio all play a few of the real-life billionaires and hedge fund managers who attempt to thwart the movement by freezing transactions, only to wind up under the microscope of Congress. This is all based on true events that came to a head in early 2021, literally like yesterday, (laughs) and which were chronicled in Ben Mesrick's book, The Antisocial Network. Craig Gillespie directs, and the screenplay is by Lauren Shuker Bloom and Rebecca Angelo. 
Dumb Money is out in theaters now. So, Waylon, I want to start with you because you are our resident money person here. <laughs> so, and as I already said, this happened very recently. So, were you actually following this in real time when all of this kind of came to a head and, and captured mainstream media news? I was following it. I didn't work on any direct stories, but certainly both Planet Money and The Indicator did a lot of coverage of this. And I was following very eagerly just as a consumer of financial news. <laughs> yeah. So how do, how do you feel this movie sort of, what does it get right or wrong about how it actually went down? Yeah, you know, I think that this movie was really successful in capturing a slice of life it wasn't that long ago, but if you think back to early 2021, it was like deeply weird time. You know, yeah. we were all still traumatized by being in a pandemic and we were really isolated. And this thing that happened was a honestly very, very strange thing, you know, which is why it's such great fodder for a movie. So I think the movie is very successful in capturing that energy. And I really love the performances where it really left me cold was this thematic element that I felt like it kept trying to cram down my throat and this ideological layer hmm. that tries to make the movies take away about normies sticking it to Wall Street. I mean, I really disagree pretty hard with that <laughs> reading of the whole GameStop phenomenon as someone who, you know, watched it happen and has like consumed a lot of news coverage and analysis of it. Yeah. Um, and I just felt like they were forcing this ideological layer, which I absolutely did not buy and then started to really resent. And then by the end of the movie, they showed this title card about, you know, how much Wall Street hedge funds are now paying attention to what retail investors are doing. And I just had a big frowny face um, <laughs> yeah. because and I went and like fact checked that stat after. And I, I just felt like that's not how I wanted to leave the movie. You know, I wanted yeah. to enjoy this great energy and this great slice of life and this moment in time that it captured. And I didn't want to feel like I was being force-fed a narrative about real people or regular people, dumb money, sticking it to Wall Street and somehow emerging with the victory because that's not how I read it. Right. The synopsis that even the studio gave us directly references David versus Goliath. And like every interview you read, it's like David versus Goliath. And it's like, <laughs> Oh, is that really what we're trying to go for here? So I kind of felt similarly to you, but I think we'll dig into that even deeper a little later. Steven, how about you? Like, I don't know how closely you were following this at the time. I knew GameStop had happened, but I was not really paying attention to it. So how did you approach this film? And did this David versus Goliath storyline work for you at all? I mean, I'm an absolute sucker for watching hedge fund managers get their lunch eaten. I, I'm, <laughs> I'm probably I'm probably the target market for that. And I, I enjoyed it on that basis. I was definitely deeply skeptical of like there being this larger, gigantic ideological underpinning beyond mischief in terms of what was driving this movement. I mean, right. in a way, the two sides that are being presented here are like the evil hedge fund billionaires and, and we're seeing how out of touch and horrible they are. And then we're kind of meeting 
these like every person private investors in the form of a nurse played by America Ferreira, Mm -hmm. a GameStop employee played by Anthony Ramos, whom I usually love, but who has just nothing to do in this movie that they could have. Except perform Savage. (laughs) He did do a TikTok dance. Um, (laughs) You know, we see like a couple of students and we're kind of given an opportunity to see who some of these investors are and what might have motivated them. But in a way, the real life story here is a group of sort of hedge fund gamblers who we want to see lose their money. But really, like, what they're up against is the internet. Yeah. And kind of the mischievousness and weird, like, memes on top of inside jokes in top yeah. of gifts on top of... <laughs> and, and, you know, those stock memes that are like stonks? And, yeah. and <laughs> like, imagine yeah. when people reply to a thing about the stock market with the word stonks. Imagine that <laughs> and a movie trying to sort of amplify and explain and build off of that. That's what this movie is kind of trying to get at. And I have to say, I did enjoy this movie. I, like I said, I'm a sucker for a, for a certain amount of mischief at the expense of people I don't like. Mm-hmm. And I think the movie does serve as an interesting time capsule, you know, in a way that I hadn't really seen depicted in a lot of TV shows or movies up to this point. You know, there's a lot of stuff yeah. about the pandemic. There's a lot of stuff. The GameStop employees are wearing masks and talking mm-hmm. through masks. The internet side of things is an unruly and unpleasant place. Mm-hmm. And I think this movie captures that. Did I have quibbles with it? Absolutely. Did I enjoy it? Sure. Yeah, I think for me, I went into this with my arms folded, like, <laughs> really, we're doing this? It's been two-ish years since this happened. What are we doing here? Um, And I think I came out of it with my arms slightly unfolded. Uh, (laughs) I laughed a few times. I think like Pete Davidson as Kevin Keith's brother who works as a food delivery driver. I never thought I would say this, but he was kind of a highlight of this movie for me. (laughs) He was really funny. He's very He's kind of fun. He's got some of the best lines. I do think this is a film that sort of suffers from having way too many characters Mm -hmm. and not enough time spent with most of them besides the Keith character and his family. You have all these hedge funds billionaire people being played by Nick Offerman and and Seth Rogen, they show up, but I'm just like, there's no real complexity there. And I found it hard to really latch on to this wanting to take down the man because I feel like the the billionaires are just kind of there and they just existed. Mm. I do think what it gets right, though, and to your point, Stephen, about how this is really a story about the internet, I think it really does get right the influence and heavy pull of social media Mm -hmm. and how it really stimulates FOMO in many ways. Mm -hmm. It's like, especially when the opportunity to make money is involved. Mm -hmm. There's this recurring line where each of the characters, including the America Ferrer character and Anthony Ramos character, like, as things are coming to a head and the stock keeps going up and their friends are telling them like, dude, you need to pull out. Like, what are you doing? You're, you're, you're taking a risk. They're like, if he's in, I'm in. Mm -hmm. And like, I get it. Like, I think it really captures that aspect of the internet really well, but I have to wonder, is this movie trying to turn a gambling story into an inspirational Mm -hmm. story? Cause that's at the Mm -hmm. end of the day, they're gambling. (laughs) Yeah, no, they totally are. And Aisha, to your point about the number of characters that we're introduced to and how difficult it is sometimes to really get to know anyone besides maybe the Paul Dano one, what's really baffling to me is that you meet so many characters, but each of the regular people, they each have some 
backstory about how they've been personally victimized by Wall Street. Mm-hmm. And I think the biggest omission is that we are missing what Stephen alluded to earlier. Where is the mischief maker? Where mm-hmm. are all of the people who piled into the GameStop stock purely because of the lulls or yeah. maybe because of FOMO? Uh, or just because they wanted to see what happened, or because they were bored at home mm-hmm. during the you know very early days of the pandemic. I right. mean, to me, that's what this was. It was people in it for the lulls, largely. And you could mm-hmm. kind of put a little layer of let's stick it to Wall Street on top of that. But I read it very much as there was a bunch of people just making mischief on the internet, and it turned into something even bigger than they anticipated. And I don't know why they didn't have a single person represented on screen who was in it purely for the lulls. Even the right. college student was like, this Wall Street firm came in and took away my dad's pension. I'm like, now we have to get a sob story about this college student? I don't think so. Yeah, I think that's such a great point, because as we're introduced to each of these characters all of them, they have like their net worth. And some of them are like negative $185,000 because of like student loans or whatever. It is a movie that seems to be really trying to press hard on the buttons of, you know, all of these other similar Eat the Rich movies that have come out or or TV shows, including Succession. Mm -hmm. And I just wonder, are we getting tired of this? Or are there ways to still make this interesting? This is based on a true story, so it's unlike those other things. But Steven, like, are you are you tired of this eat the rich <laughs> fantasy stuff? <laughs> I am an eat the rich fantasy. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Tell us more. I just feel like I am I am made of eat the rich fantasies. I don't get tired of it. Um, I I mean, part of what is interesting about this story, if I'm not mistaken, is that it is like the many found a loophole to get back at the few, and like. Part of what so much of hedge fund management and investing and kind of getting massively, 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 massively wealthy, moving money around, part of what's interesting about that is that the more democratized that gets and the more people figure out how to manipulate that system, the many can manipulate the few. Mm -hmm. And you can get these kind of reversals where all of a sudden people who are getting obscenely wealthy just gambling on whether a company will fail, like suddenly a loophole has been found within the loophole. I do think that's interesting. And I want, I'm curious about those stories. And I I definitely can feel the populist pull of that kind of storytelling. Stephen, you would have really enjoyed, as an eat the rich enthusiast, (laughs) being in my screening, because I'm from Chicago. And so I saw it in Chicago. And when Nick Offerman, as Ken Griffin appeared on screen, Ken Griffin is persona non grata, especially in certain circles in Illinois. Mm -hmm. There were these noises that went around the theater, uh, some sharp intakes of breath that were kind of hiss adjacent. And then it was like murmur, (laughs) murmur, murmur. And it was so funny to just witness that in Chicago. Um, But it's like, I love an eat the rich narrative too, you know, and I love succession. I think that, you know, the challenge maybe with this film is that to Aisha's point, playing the stock market is very much like gambling. And so this is not an organized, thoughtful way to take down capitalism and to (laughs) rectify (laughs) massive wealth inequality in this country. You're not going to do it by gambling in the stock market, you know, and a hedge fund, a hedge fund is not just 
investing in stocks and betting on whether companies will do well or will fail, right? And I think I understand that the movie has to simplify it that way, but it is also investing in commodities futures and credit default swaps and all sorts of stuff that, you know, just sound like gobbledygook. And so to think that any kind of victory was actually achieved here, I think is a little misleading, right? It's a little bit of a false hope. And I, I was thinking like, well, what is like one of the things that maybe came out of this that will force some kind of change for the biggest players on Wall Street. And, you know, I was like reading some news coverage of it. And I'm like, well, maybe the SEC will come in and put in some more regulations around payment for order flow, which comes up in the movie. It's this thing with Ken Griffin and Robin Hood. And I was like, Hmm. wow, that's so boring. And I was like, obviously, (laughs) that is like a very difficult narrative to sell. But sometimes I think when it comes to these large systems that are very arcane, very opaque, hard to understand, the change is super incremental and it is super boring and it just involves regulation. Yeah. I mean, as as you say that, it just makes me think of how anytime I start reading any article that has anything to do with the, the stock market or funds, or even when I have to think about my 401k, <laughs> oh my eyes just glaze over yeah. and my brain shuts off. And to this movie's credit, it really makes it simple for all of us who don't care or <laughs> do not understand basic math, <laughs> which is also me. <laughs> it's like, I, I hate numbers. Um, and I think that I can see, especially to your point, Waylon, about how you were in your screening and there were people like viscerally acting to it. I can see how an audience, it can play very well to an audience who just wants to see this very sort of basic narrative. But like, I guess that's that's what Hollywood does and has to do, right? In, In order to appeal to a large audience, which this movie clearly wants to do. I do think I fit into very much the target market for this film, which is when I look at this story and when I look at stories like this, my kind of immediate gut reaction is, I don't understand this, but I resent it. (laughs) (laughs) yes and and i and i i I feel that way i i'm also very very averse to gambling i just don't enjoy it i if i lose my money i'm so mad that i can't enjoy the experience of occasionally winning it and so anytime you talk to me about investing of any kind i'm sort of like treasury bills that sounds kind of risky <laughs> no that's the most risk-free investment there is even. <laughs> oh, Waylon schooling us thank you <laughs> and so and so like well credit card I guess I'll get one of those <laughs> so so having it sort of explained as like here's kind of how this worked and you dress it up and and you put sweet sweet soft-faced Paul Dano at the center oh, of it who I best. do really enjoy and basically everything. Uh, it, it works for me. Yeah. I mean, I think at the end of the day, my biggest complaint about this film is not that it's not entertaining. Like I was not bored. I think it's just for me, when I think about the bigger picture, not just in what it's trying to say, but in the way it was made and how it feels like sort of a direct to video kind of project where it happened in 2021, and then uh, Ben Mesrick's book comes out later in 2021. And I think even before that, or somewhere around the same time, the movie was optioned, or like he was already trying to sell the, the movie. The factory pace at which this <laughs> was churned out, that's kind of what bugs me the most, I think. I wish there was just a little bit more space and time away from it, but that's a personal problem. It's a me problem. Um, I'm sure people will... <laughs> 
and still enjoy it for those who don't care about such things. I mean, I kind of had the opposite reaction, though. Like, for me, this it still felt fresh. It still felt new. And, like, I don't know if I have seen a lot of pandemic artifacts that capture what it was like to move through the world during the pandemic. And I felt like the yeah. fact that this took place in that and felt true to that, mm-hmm. I, I dug. And I actually, I think it's interesting. You can see this overarching theme to Craig Gillespie's career, the, the director. Mm. You know, he worked on I, Tanya, He worked on Pam and Tommy. Yeah, Those stories are all... A, time capsules, B, kind of ripped from the headlines adjacent, and C, kind of trying to place you in that time and place and make comment on things that haven't necessarily gotten a really thorough airing. And so Mm. I I have found all of those projects interesting in different ways, in part because they're trying to tell me a story I haven't necessarily gotten 100% to the bottom of. Yeah, I think for this movie... Your mileage might vary according to how much of a meta narrative or a bigger takeaway you want from this movie. I would have been perfectly satisfied if the movie was just saying, here's what it was like to be on this wild roller coaster, this black swan event that happened in the market. Wasn't that weird? Yeah. I would have been happy with that, right? And But some people will want more of a story. They'll want more of a fable, more of a takeaway. And as someone who has covered financial markets for a long time, that's how I started my career, actually covering financial markets and filing like daily news stories about why this went up or this went down. I think I've just reached a place in my life where I'm deeply allergic to ascribing too much narrative to what happens in the markets because Uh sometimes there really is not a good reason, you know. And as a person who used to have to call uh, disgruntled, busy, cranky traders on the phone and be like, can you tell me why this bond went up (laughs) or down? And then having to somehow write a whole news story that would go out to people who paid for this information – You know, that's how I got burned out on that first job. And so this is like trying to do that, but writ large. Like, what takeaway can we have from this Black Swan event that happened in the market? And for me, what happened is actually interesting in itself, you know, without trying to have a bigger takeaway to it. Yeah. I think that's where I land too, Waylon. Like, just (laughs) give me the the very, like, this was fun, roller coaster ride, and then, you know. Nothing really changed. I mean, <laughs> AOC admonished some of these guys. That was cool. <laughs> it's fun to see her pop up in, you know, in footage there. So, yeah. Well, yeah. Ken Griffin moved to Florida where he doesn't have to pay income tax. That happened. Look at that. Look at that. The rich have not been eaten. They're, they're, no. still, they're still amongst us. <laughs> <laughs> they walk amongst us. <laughs> Well, we want to know what you think about Dumb Money. I'm sure people will have their thoughts. <laughs> Find us at facebook.com slash PCHH. And that brings us to the end of our show. Stephen Thompson, Waylon Wong, thanks so much for being here. I'm glad we got to discuss this and I got to learn a few more terms that I would not otherwise know. <laughs> I learned those terms and will immediately forget them. Thank you. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> And we want to take a moment to thank our Pop Culture Happy Hour Plus subscribers. We really, truly appreciate you for showing your support of NPR. And if you haven't signed up yet and want to show your support and listen to the show without any sponsor breaks, head over to plus.npr.org slash happy hour or visit the link in our show notes. This episode was produced by Thomas Liu and Liz Metzger and edited by Mike Katzoff. Our supervising producer is Jessica Reedy and Hello Come In provides our theme music. 
Thanks so much for listening to Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. I'm Ayesha Harris, and we'll see you all tomorrow. This message comes from NPR sponsor Mint Mobile. From the gas pump to the grocery store, inflation is everywhere. So Mint Mobile is offering premium wireless starting at just $15 a month. To get your new phone plan for just $15, go to mintmobile.com slash switch. Support for NPR and the following message come from Bombas. Bombas makes absurdly soft socks, underwear, and t-shirts. And for every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Get 20% off your first purchase at bombas.com slash NPR and use code NPR.